jump in. We're going to read a little bit here, if that's okay. But Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, we're going to start there. This is the sermon uh, that I had prepared to preach Friday night, but because of the viewing, uh, I did not come to our extended prayer Friday night and went to the viewing. And I thank God that I did. It was a beautiful service. And I believe there was a purpose in that because I felt, I felt as I was preparing it that God wanted me to preach it Sunday instead of Friday. Then I was like, well, what am I going to preach Friday then, God? You know? And so God just made it, made a way. And this was obviously his will for me to preach this today. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, Then saith Jesus unto them, All of ye shall be offended because of me this night. That word offended, we could break it down a whole bunch. Basically, it means to fall away, to turn back from, to rebel, to backslide. He's saying, you're going to backslide today, and it's going to be because of me and what happens to me. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter, oh, good old Peter, right? Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended, he says. Jesus had to break the news to him. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all of the disciples. In Luke's account of this, Peter, he, had, he, he went a little bit further. He explained a little bit more. He said unto the Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and into death. Whatever is coming our way, I'm going to stand guard with you, Jesus. I'm going to be by your side if it ends up we're both in prison, that's so be it. If it ends up we're both dead, so be it. I am going to be a guard at your side. Of course, we know that did not actually happen the way he thought. Back to Matthew 26, 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. We call it the Garden of Gethsemane. And he saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. But then he took Peter, James, and John, the two sons of Zebedee, his top generals, if you will, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then he said unto Peter, James, and John, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Everybody say watch. Jesus goes and prays. He comes back. Verse 40. He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. They did not, in fact, watch. And he said unto Peter, what? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus steps away again to pray. He comes back in verse 43, and he came, despite his rebuke, found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them, went again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. He ended up giving up the battle against their slumber. He cometh to the disciples, said to them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And almost immediately he declares to them, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. The events that follow that 
for the disciples is a very grim, dark, disappointing story. And today I'd like to preach on this. I'm going to draw a sermon title. Right now it might not make sense. I'm going to preach from an old saying we used to have. And that is that we would be prayer warriors. We don't use that much anymore. But today I want to preach about being a prayer warrior. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Are you here with me? You're going to let God touch you? Hallelujah. We said let's pray and let's talk to God. Ask him to speak to us. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to come into this house. We pray that, Lord, you would speak to us and minister to our hearts and minds. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less. We thank you, Lord, and we worship you, God. Have your way in this place, Lord. Use us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Please give me just a moment to kind of lay a foundation here this morning. It was a simple request. Nothing terribly complicated. At most, it caused only a slight inconvenience for Peter, James, and John when Jesus said to them, Watch with me just one hour. Had they only paid attention, it seems to us like it could be just inconceivable that they would be able to fall asleep in that moment. You think to yourself, well, perhaps they didn't know what was about to happen, but they absolutely did, didn't they? They should have known at least. Jesus told them over and over again what was about to come. He told them on the Mount of Transfiguration, these are just a few of them, not all of them. He told them on the Mount of Transfiguration exactly what he would suffer, that he would be killed, that he would rise again. He told them in Galilee just a few days before their trip to Jerusalem that he would be killed, that he would be betrayed into the hands of man. On the way, literally walking to Jerusalem, he again explains to them that he would be betrayed and to the chief priests and the scribes, they would condemn him to death, that the Gentiles would mock and scourge him, and that he would be crucified. He left no details to the, to the imagination he expressed fully and exactly what was about to befall him, his fate, and ultimately the fate of the disciples. We read it in this passage of Scripture, the very beginning of our Scripture text, that even on the very night, only a couple of hours before the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells them, all of you shall be offended because of me this night. You'd think that because of that, oh, they'd be ready for all of this. But even though he would explain to them fully what was about to come, they were not. And it's just, again, and we talk about Peter a lot, and we beat up on him a lot sometimes. Hallelujah. But we can do that because we know the end of the story, right? We know that he would eventually become the minister who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to those who were there, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter was one who was very confident in himself. Peter said to Jesus, I, I think you're mistaken. You, you added the word. You, you remember, you said all of you. you. You only meant some of them because I'm not one of them. I'm not like these 11 losers over here. They're going to be offended. I'm not one of them. Though all of these be offended, I will not be offended. Peter tries to establish himself as a strong force to be reckoned with. You can see the reason why Peter would become the first leader of the church 
is because he absolutely had a warrior spirit within him. You see, but he just misunderstood the task. The disciples at this time were still waiting and expecting for Jesus to restore the physical kingdom of Israel and place himself as a king. They had been preparing. No doubt all of these prophecies, all of the words that Jesus said about himself, they would gladly push them aside and ignore them because they thought certainly that's not the case because there's a throne and Jesus belongs on it. They were not mistaken in that. They were just mistaken in which throne he belonged on. They thought that Jesus was there to overthrow the Roman government and reestablish Jerusalem in the earth as a sovereign nation. But I'm sorry to tell you, Peter, you can get your swords ready and you can prepare for battle. But at the end of the day, that's not what Jesus has come to do. They were preparing for war. They, I'm sure, especially through all of these conversations of Jesus being taken away and dying, they were preparing themselves to fight to the very last breath. I will help you, Jesus. I will secure the victory for you, Jesus. I will even go to prison. And at worst, if it may come down to it, I will go to the grave with you, Jesus, because I'm a warrior and I'm ready to fight for this kingdom. Oh, praise the Lord. They were preparing for war. But again, they were so confused as to what war they were meant to fight. Jesus said in Luke chapter twenty-two, thirty-six. 36, this no doubt caused even more confusion for them. Then said Jesus unto them, But now, he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. When they heard that, they must have thought, Oh boy, here it is. We got to get our weapons ready. We got to make sure we got what it takes. If we're going up against the Roman army, then we better make sure we got plenty of swords. Jesus is telling us, he's giving us a, a warning. The battle is on its way. Go gather your swords. Go prepare to fight. He says, for I say unto you that this is that, that this this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. See, that's where they didn't understand. That's where Jesus lost them because he said, what's about to happen to me is not the beginning of something. It is the ending of something. I'm not about to start my rule in this earth. I'm about to end my rule in this earth. But then I will restart a new rule in this earth. Amen. And he said to him, obviously misunderstanding in verse 8, Lord, behold, here are two swords. says, is this going to be it? Is this all we got? We got to gather the money. Everybody check your pockets. Empty them out. All right, now go put them in the coin wars buckets. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. Praise God. He said, everybody empty your pockets. Jesus said for us to take our purse, our scrip. If we got to sell our garments, we got to sell our possessions. We got to store up. We got to put a stock together of swords and weapons. But Jesus said unto them, it is enough. 
in this phrase, it might be confusing with the King James Version to understand what he's trying to say. He's not saying two swords is enough to secure the kingdom, but rather this was a statement of aggravation and anger. You still don't understand what I'm trying to tell you, do you? You still just don't get it. I'm not talking about bringing physical swords to a physical body battle. He says that's enough of that talk. We're talking about bringing spiritual swords and spiritual weapons to a spiritual battle. Hallelujah. Something that's going to be long lasting. Leon Morris, he understands Jesus by saying here it is enough as in enough of that kind of talk. He dismisses a subject in which the disciples were so helplessly astray. Hallelujah. Because he wasn't talking about becoming physical warriors or taking on a physical sword. He was talking about the sword of the Spirit. He was talking about weapons that are not of this world. He wasn't talking about bearing arms. He was talking about putting on the armor of God. Why is that? Because 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, it says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare they are not carnal but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds this morning I want to talk about some weapons the greatest weapon you have in your arsenal is not the gun in your bedroom it's not the sword in your kitchen no it is a prayer life it is the ability to get down on your hands and knees and to seek after the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know if there's anybody concealing today, but today... I pray that we would conceal some spiritual weapons on our person and that we would walk out of this place with a preparation of the Spirit knowing that my battle is not physical and this war is not in the flesh. It is not carnal, but there is a spiritual war going on right now. Hallelujah. And if I want to be successful, I need a spiritual weapon. And this is what he says. A sword is not sufficient. Because truly, two swords were not enough. Two swords could not have taken down the Roman government. However... He said, there are some weapons in your arsenal that are mighty through God to the pulling down of spiritual strongholds. We may not have something physical to hold on to, but let me tell you, the battle, the weapons that we do have, they are mighty. They are strong. They are capable. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what you need today. If you've got the weapon of prayer, You've got something greater than anybody else in this world because prayer is powerful and prayer is able to pull down strongholds and prayer is able to set the captive free. Prayer is able to deliver those who are in bondage. Prayer is able to heal the brokenhearted. Prayer is able to preach a gospel to the poor. I'm here to preach to you today that if you've got prayer, you've got the greatest weapon greater than the atomic bomb. Oh, hallelujah. Why? Because prayer is ever-reaching. Prayer does not have boundaries. Prayer can reach all. That's why Jesus, the, the, the man came to Jesus and said, listen, I'm a man under authority, and I'm a man over authority. And I know all I need to do is just say the word and it'll be done. He says, Jesus, I believe that if you'll just say the word, you don't even need to come close to my servant. 
Hallelujah. Prayer is so powerful that it can reach beyond these walls. Oh, that's why you can pray for, pray for somebody in Ukraine and know that God is going to be on their side and God's going to touch them and God's going to help them. You can pray for somebody in Russia and know that the Lord is going to make a way and the Lord is capable of doing it because prayer is powerful. Oh, Jesus. And let me tell you, if you want to know how to win the battle, this is how you do it. Prayer. You want to know how to overcome sin, this is how you do it. Prayer. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. It's the most important thing we could do through the day. It's the most important part of a church service. Prayer is essential. Everybody shout prayer. Jesus, if we take back, go back to his analogy, he begins to tell them, sell everything you got. He says, prepare your purse, take all your money, and go out and buy yourself a sword. And if he's not talking about a physical sword, he's talking about our spiritual weaponry. Then he tells us, and that communicates to me, that prayer is so important that if it takes all of my money in order for me to have a prayer life, it's more important for me to have a prayer life than to have money in the bank. It's more important for me to have the weapon of prayer than for me to have clothes on my back. Oh, praise God. He said, sell your garments and go and purchase prayer. Because hear me today, we need that weapon in our lives. We need the sword of prayer. If we want to see revival in the church, what do we need? Prayer. If we want to see revival in our own lives, what do we need? Prayer. If we want to see our loved ones saved, what do we need? Prayer. If you want breakthrough in your life, what do you need? If you want deliverance from sin, what do you need? If you want a greater understanding of God, what do you need? Prayer, I'm telling you, it's the most important thing you can get. If you got to sell the home, if you got to lose your job, this is more important than anything. Prayer. I'm about to hit you hard. You ready? Because that's all fun and games, but let's get real. There are some things right now we could sell in order to purchase our weapon of prayer. Today, you could sell your Netflix account. Today, you could sell your Hulu account or HBO Max or Disney Plus or whatever it is you stream from. Today, you could sell your cell phone. You guys were just rejoicing and shouting prayer. You could sell your computer. Sell your social media account. Sell off Facebook. Oh, Jesus. Sell your Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Why? It's because the currency accepted for the purchase of prayer is time and attention. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If the saying is true, time is money, then if you want a prayer life, if you want the sword of the Spirit, if you want that weapon of prayer, then yeah, your time is what it's going to cost. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. On the way over here, I was putting these slides together in the car, and I was putting them on the screen on the, in the Proclaim program. And I just read that off to my wife. I only tell her my sermons when I know she's not going to be in here. <laughs> when she's going to be in here, she has to wait like everybody else. 
But I said that to her. I said, the currency accepted for the purchase of the weapon of prayer is time and attention. She said to me, that's a bargain. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. That's a bargain. I tell you what, if you got prayer in your life and you look back and you, you're never going to wonder, oh, man, I wish I had more Facebook. If you get a true prayer life and you begin to see the effects and how powerful prayer can be in your life, you're never going to look back and miss that Netflix account. I'm not saying any of those things are bad to have. You know I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you want a prayer life, you're going to have to forsake some of those things. But it's a bargain. It's worth it. There's nothing more important you can have in your life than a prayer life. But that is why, if the currency is time and attention, that's the reason why the church, not this church, but the church as a whole, has lost this important concept of prayer. It used to be, you come to church an hour before service and spend time in prayer. Then it went down to 30 minutes. Then it went down to 15 minutes. Then it went down to just if you could get a couple words in before service. Then it went down to we just walk right in during service without prayer. And then it came to we'll be 15 minutes late for service. <laughs> Praise God. Man, I hope you all like me after this. Praise God. <laughs> but see, it's because we value our time. We value our attention. And even though all of these objects in our pockets, these cell phones, they're supposed to give us more time. Rather, what it has done is it's taken it away. And we have less time than we ever had. So the church begins to fight for the time of its people. We begin to fight for your attention we begin to fight to try to capture you so that we may grow and see this kingdom become greater and greater. And the church has fallen into a, a horrible trap where we begin to spend the currency, the time and attention that you bring to church on things like productions, great sermons and music, big buildings, programs for all ages. Again, nothing wrong with all of those things. But what we've done is we've tried to use the currency of time and attention. We've tried to get the most out of it. So we've done things like put on entertainment because we know people will sit and watch something before they'll sit and pray. Oh, Jesus. Can I tell you the last time that the church used its facilities to sell things and used that currency in an ungodly way, Jesus came in with whips. And he established Luke 19.46 it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. <laughs> it shall be called the house of prayer. Church is not successful unless we've got the sword of the spirit and the weapons of prayer. Church is not so we can have the best programs, but if we don't have prayer, it's going to be lacking. We could have the greatest entertainment, but if we don't have prayer, it's going to be lacking. I could be a much greater orator, but if I don't have prayer, it's going to be lacking. He says you have made it a den of thieves because you put your attention on the entertainment and on the pulpit and on the productions and not on me. Let me tell you, if we want to see revival in this church, then we need a revival of prayer. 
We need a revival of prayer. Our attention should be less on the man behind the pulpit and more on the man in the heavens. That's why that prayer room right there, that door, it doesn't have a sign on it. We're hoping to get that soon. But that door right there, that room right there is the most important room in this building. It might be small, but that's a prayer room. And listen, if you start coming, and if that prayer room is filled, we'll knock down a wall, and we'll make it bigger. We'll do it, because that's the most important room in this church right here. See, the problem is, is that we have become some, not we, and I don't want to make everybody, paint everybody with the same brush, but many have become prayer warrior, warriors, and not prayer warriors. Am I right? We walk into the church. Well, we had less people this Sunday than we did last Sunday. Well, the music wasn't as great this Sunday as it was last Sunday. Altar call wasn't as powerful as it was this Sunday as, as it was last Sunday. Hallelujah. Praise God. We begin to worry what's going on with the church. What's going on with this? What's going on with that? Listen, if you see that there's lacking, then don't put on your warrior hat. Put on your warrior hat and decide if something's wrong, I got to get in the prayer room. Why? Because Irma Bombeck, she said this, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. Hallelujah. We could sit around and talk about all the things that we lack, but how about we get our face in the ground, in the altar, and begin to pray and become a warrior and take our weapons and say, all right, I'm going to fight through this. I'm going to battle through this. I'm going to pray through this. Today might be low, but that's all right because I'm going to fight through it. I'm going to fight until we see growth. I'm going to pray until we see people speaking in tongues and getting baptized. I'm going to pray until people repent. I'm going to pray until our city is one. I'm going to be a warrior in the church. HPPC needs prayer warriors. HPPC needs prayer warriors. Bishop Boyd, our district superintendent of this UPCI over the Florida district, part of our church organization that we're a part of, our fellowship. I heard him tell a story recently where he had told of a man in his church. He said, every service, that man came early to pray. Every service, you could expect him there early to seek the face of God. He said, one morning, Boyd was in his office, and he could hear from the adjoining rooms, the prayer room that we're just opposite of his, the, the other side of his office. He could hear someone yelling loudly in intercessory prayer. He recognized that voice. And as he was putting his sermon together, he said it, it touched him so greatly as he could feel that even though I'm here working on this, I've got help right in the other room. Hallelujah. He said that man came and peeked his head in the doorway of his office and said to him, Pastor, today is going to be a great day because heaven is closer now. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Don't you realize the impact you could have just coming to church 30 minutes early and creating an atmosphere of prayer and worship? Don't you realize the, the effects you could have? Hallelujah. Before anybody else walks through, before our guests come to church and walk through those doors, before people bring in their chains and their burdens, we've already brought heaven down. They don't have to come in and try to spark something. There's already a 
fire burning in the house. All they got to do is step in and God begins to tear away the chains and break the addictions and provide freedom for them. Oh, somebody needs to get in their heart. I want to bring heaven closer. I want to bring heaven closer. I want to be a heaven. I want to be a prayer warrior. And I want to bring heaven closer. I'm going to tell a story. And y'all are going to be thinking I'm crazy after this. I know. Some of you have heard this story before. To our guests, just know I am a little crazy, so it's hard. I was still fresh in the ministry. And I had gone through a time, a season of just a burden of prayer. I was still living at my father's house before I was married and all that. Well, I'd hope. (laughs) But I was living there. They had a back shed in the back of their house. It's just, it was the prayer shed. That's where everybody went to go pray. Had a little air conditioner in there. It was just a prayer shed. And for the whole week, almost every night this that week, and I'm not, I'm not lifting myself up. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm some great prayer warrior, all that. But I had gotten just a great burden of prayer that week. And every night I was in that prayer room for hours, two to four hours, almost every night that week I was in that prayer room. I wish I had that much time to pray these days. <laughs> I was in that prayer room. I was just so hungry for God, so desperate for a move of the Holy Ghost. It was Saturday night. We had a guest minister the next day in Sunday at, at the church on Sunday. I decided, you know, I'm not going to go and pray like that tonight. I, would, I mean, I would stay up just all night praying. I'm not going to go do that tonight. I need to get my rest for church tomorrow. I prayed for a little bit, and then I decided to go to sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night with great fear all over me. I didn't exactly know why. I just felt that. Anybody ever had that? You just wake up, and it's like you just feel afraid, like something's in your room. There's some presence or something. That's how I felt. I was familiar with that. I'd had other experiences in the past. But for some reason, though, I felt afraid. I felt almost like something just spoke to me like, I'm okay. I'm not in any danger. I thought, that's strange. Why, why am I feeling this way? I just, I could tell something spiritual was happening. I sat there for a couple of minutes praying talking to God, trying to figure out what was happening. Finally, I just determined, well, I need to go back to sleep, and I needed to use the restroom before I did. In my father's house, they had a long hallway. My room was about in the middle of the hallway. The bathroom was on one end, and the living room was on the other end. And I walked down the hallway and went into the restroom. While I was in there, this is going to scare some people. While I was in there, I heard claws on the doorway. And as it was a a whimpering outside the door, of course, I got afraid, as you'd imagine. (laughs) I thought, "What, what is that? My parents had large dogs, so I said, it must be one of the dogs. But I still knew something was happening in the spirit. So I just said, okay, God, if I walk out there and I see the dogs, I know that's it. But if I don't see the dogs, I know something is happening here. You're trying to get my attention. I stepped out of the restroom. There were no dogs to be seen. And as I stepped out into the hallway, I looked down the hallway to enter my room. And down at the end, again, this might seem crazy to some people, but down at the end, I saw a black panther in our living room. There was a couple of them, and they were walking back and forth. Every now and then, they'd look up at me and catch eye contact and growl a little bit, but then they'd go on their way. At this point, I know God's doing something, but I don't know what this is. 
I went to my bed. I just prayed and said, God, what is happening right now? I don't understand why I'm seeing these visions. But again, even though there was that fear there, there was a comfort as well. Like I just knew I am not in any danger. Almost immediately I fell asleep, which was crazy to me because of what I had just experienced. And I had something happen when I woke up, something that has never happened before or since. I woke up, and before I said my first word, I began to speak in tongues as the Spirit began to flow in me. The entire morning, I could hardly talk to my family as I just continued to pray like a spirit of intercession had come over me. I just began to pray and and speak in tongues the whole morning. I just couldn't stop it. I couldn't break out of it. We went to church. It was the same thing. Finally, when church started, it was like it broke a little bit. And I began to worship and pray and do all these things. But the moment that the preacher, the guest minister, got behind that pulpit, it fell back on me like a shadow. Under my breath, I couldn't help but to just begin to pray and to, to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God began to work in me. It just happened over and over and over again. Finally, at one point, I looked up and turned my head. I was sitting on the front row about right over here. I turned my head, and when I did, I saw those black panthers in the church. And they were hovering around certain people. Hovering around people you knew were struggling in their walk with God. And also some that you didn't know were struggling in their walk with God. They would just kind of walk around them, look at them. Their attention was highly focused on that individual and the preacher that was preaching. Every now and then I could hear with my ear a growling as the preacher would begin to preach with anointing. I saw one point where a Black Panther, the preacher, came down like this and was preaching, and he was just going out, and that Black Panther came and stood right in front of him and growled. Again, I just don't, I didn't know what was happening, but I knew that I had a role to play. I had a responsibility. I was the one that was keeping the Black Panther at bay through my prayer and my intercession. Oh, let me tell you, when you come to church, it's not supposed to just be fun and games. Sometimes we have fun. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we do that. But let me tell you, there's things happening right now in the spiritual realm that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And there needs to be some individuals who decide in their heart, I'm going to prepare the way for the word. I'm going to bind demonic presence. I'm going to loosen the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on. If you feel a burden to pray in the middle of my message, you're not going to disrupt me. Don't be obnoxious about it, but you're not going to disrupt me. We need people who are going to be prayer warriors and pray and seek God. Hallelujah. That preacher began continue to preach. At one point, he did exactly this. He stopped in the middle of his message, he said, listen, I just feel like something's happening right now in the spirit. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not lying. I feel like something's happening in the spirit. I feel like there's resistance in this house. He said, I, I need to just do something. I need, let's just stop the sermon right now. If you could stand to your feet, I want everybody right now to begin to stomp on the devil's head and begin to worship God. Can I tell you when they did that, the church stood up and began to put their foot down. Those panthers screamed at high-pitched noise. I physically had to cover my ears and I saw them run out of the building. Don't you tell me that prayer isn't important in the church and worship isn't important in the church. Hallelujah. You don't know what Black Panthers you're casting out when you pray and when you worship and when you put the devil in his place. This church needs prayer warriors. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
Oh, would you go ahead and clap your hands? How about we all stand to our feet right now for a moment and just talk to the Lord? Oh, God, we need you. Hallelujah. And if you have the Holy Ghost and you begin to speak in tongues and and you feel like something comes over you like you can't help but to speak in tongues, that's okay. The Bible talks about it. The Bible says that when we know not what to pray, the Spirit of the Lord makes intercession through us with groans and moans which cannot be uttered or understood. In other words, the Spirit of God would begin to speak through us as the Spirit of God gives the utterance of another language. And we begin, if you feel like you're fighting a battle while you're praying, that's intercession. You're a prayer warrior. You're wielding the sword of prayer. I tell you, there's some people in this house, you need to wield the sword of prayer over your family. You need to wield the sword of prayer over your neighbors and your coworkers. You need to wield the sword of prayer over your church, over your your life over your addictions hallelujah and of course there's prayer that is calm and collect and then there's prayer that is intercessory and it's meant to be loud and it's meant to be forceful and it's meant to be strong oh it's meant to put the devil in its place it's meant to call down heaven if I wanted the sword to cause the most impact, I would swing it with force. And if I want my prayers to cause the most impact, I would speak it with force and anointing and power. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I feel like it's happening now. Hallelujah. If you just be remain standing for just one more minute. Matthew 26 and 40, I'm almost done. <laughs> Jesus came to Peter. Peter the warrior. Peter the sword bearer. Peter, the one in just a few minutes, would take out a physical sword. And cut a man's ear off. Peter, the one willing to go to prison, the one willing to go into the grave to defend his Savior. Yet, that same warrior, that tough guy, could not pray one hour with Jesus. He's a big, tough guy until it comes to prayer. Peter, you're willing to go to prison with me. You're willing to go to grave with me. But are you willing to go into the prayer room with me? Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. And you can hear the disappointment in the voice of Jesus as he says, Peter, what is this? You claim to be so strong for me. You claim to be a warrior on my behalf. But could you not watch with me one hour? I tell you, these words have been screaming in my spirit all week long as God has asked me over and over again, Aaron, could you not watch with me? One hour. How can you be a warrior and not be able to pray one hour? I'm not here to try to tell you how long you should have prayer in your life every day. You got to work that out. But this is what God's convicted me. He said, I need to pursue my one hour every day. Because he thought it was ridiculous that Peter could not watch with him. 
just one hour. You see, he would go on to say, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We use this passage of scripture often to refer to Jesus and what he was about to face. And it is true, but there's a double meaning here. He's letting Peter, James, and John know you need to pray lest you enter into temptation. Because when it comes down to it, you're about to face a lot. And if we can claim, which we can, that the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross won our salvation, but the Garden of Gethsemane won the cross for Jesus. We could also say that the Garden of Gethsemane was a failure in helping the disciples go through what they were about to go through. Could it be that Peter, had you spent your hour in prayer, you never would have taken out that sword when they came for Jesus? Could it be, Peter, if you had spent your hour in prayer, you wouldn't have had abandoned him when the soldiers came? Could it be, Peter, if you had spent your hour in prayer, that you would not have denied Christ three times? Could it be that if you had spent your time in prayer, this would have been much easier for you? Let me tell you, if the church thinks that we can survive without prayer, we are sadly mistaken. If you think you can retain your salvation without prayer, you're sadly mistaken. If you think we're going to make it through the hard times that we've already seen or are about to see in this world, you're sadly mistaken. No, but if you want to make it to the end, if you want to make it through, then you need to heed the voice of God and begin to watch and pray and get your spiritual weapons and put your arm yourself because it's time. This is your station, warrior. This is your station, warrior. This is your station warrior it's prayer it's prayer it's prayer hallelujah I'm done I would love for you right now all over this place let's turn this into a prayer meeting where we can come